Hello everyone, welcome again to another episode of the SLAM podcast, NCG's weekly look at everything that's going on in tour. I'm Steve Carroll, I'm stepping in again because Matt Chivers has got another holiday. Unbelievable. Um, but we'll let but we'll let him off. Um, I am ably joined as always by uh, the SLAM's co-host Matt Coles. Welcome Matt. How you doing? Yeah, good to, good to have you back on again. I'm, I'm feeling like my tour knowledge is just increasing. <laughs> every single hosting it's um yeah it's it's a great place to learn for sure <laughs> <laughs> well I, de- I definitely need to learn uh, we've had quite we've had quite a week uh this week and quite a sunday night uh, for victor hovland shot an unbelievable closing 61 and a back nine 28 to overhaul scotty scheffler and win the bmw championship all eyes this week are now on east lake and the Tour Championship, we will get fully into that. We'll also talk about what is going on with the US Ryder Cup team. The top six have been revealed, but re- enduring questions remain over Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau. We'll talk about Europe's Ryder Cup form, notably Victor. And we'll also have a look at the Solheim Cup qualifiers, the first of whom have been revealed this week as well. But let's start, Matt, with... Um, Victor Hovland and the BMW Championship. Eight threes, I think, on his bat nine, 28. I mean, it's almost the perfect bat nine, isn't it? 28 shots. Incredible. Um, Scotty buckled a bit under the pressure, didn't he? He, he did. You're right. Um, you know, the talk was over the last few weeks that this this new putter that he's using, which is, you know, weighted a bit a bit more favourably for him, has it, helped him. And it, it did at the start of the, the, the final round, but as as the round went on, the putter went went cold, and especially from that distance that we know Scotty has had his troubles with. Um, but yeah, Victor was as you mentioned eight threes on the on the back nine, and even the four was actually a birdie on the par five. Um, yeah, just an incredible performance, and one Luke Donald will I'm sure have been very happy with ahead of the Ryder Cup, as we mentioned. Yeah, don't reveal all our secrets too soon. Um, the, the quality of his golf, as you said, Scheffler, particularly early on in the back nine, I think he had sort of two or three birdies in a row back nine, established a two-shot lead and, and looked like, I mean, he's he's normally a machine from there, isn't he? But some of the golf that, that Victor played on that back nine, some of those shots that he was absolutely peppering into pins, it was incredible to watch. Yeah, and even you could see it at times Rory, um, who Victor was playing with, was just smiling and laughing because obviously Rory would have wanted to do the exact same um, in the hope to win the tournament. But Victor was just on another level yesterday. Uh, like you say, pins were absolutely peppered. The 18th, no, you know, an absolutely incredible shot to, to put it to sort of six or seven feet. And then he sinks the putt for a 61 um, to, to set the clubhouse lead. Um, and it was just too much for both Scotty Scheffler and, and, of course, Matt Fitzpatrick, who, who had his chances as well. Yeah, Matt just missed a couple of key putts, I think, didn't he? Um, I can't remember which hole it was on, but 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 one certainly a three putt that just seemed to dull his progress. I know he, he got the odd birdie, but you can't go backwards on that golf course, can you? No, and of course, <clears throat> Scotty and Matt both, you know, they started a couple clear, and I think at one point in middle way through the front nine, they were both four clear of the field, you know, a field that included, I think, Victor Hovland, Xander Schofield, Rory McIlroy were all at, at 10 under par, Brian Harmon as well. Um, but yeah, Victor just clawed them back, and both Scotty and Matt had a couple of three puts uh, on the back nine, 
Um, Scotty had one, I think it was at 16, which really killed any momentum and any chance he had. Uh, but yeah, you've got to give credit to Victor completely. Yeah, what else caught your eye um, from the BMW Championship this week? I mean, the, some amazing social media footage of Tyrrell Hatton thinking he thinking he hadn't got in, and then obviously he has got in. Uh, Jordan Spieth's crept in as well to the 30. Sepp Stracker's crept in. Sepp, Sepp thought he was gone, didn't he? I mean, he looked on the 18th. Oh, he, thought he, was, he thought he was out. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a few people... Um, who at the bottom end who've crept in. I mean, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about the um, the Tour Championship and, and how they do it in a second, for those who don't know. But um, drama, there was, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I think about the FedEx Cup playoffs, but there was undeniably some drama yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it sort of brings a, a tournament within a tournament as, as such, you know, to try and get into that top 30. And as you mentioned, Tyrrell, I think, I think he was in the in the face of the bunker. I think it was on on eighteen, and he thought he'd messed it up. And the club went, and the hat came off. And you know, in t- in typical Tyrrell fashion, which we we know and love. Um, but yeah, I think he made it in at, at twenty eight. Like you say, Jordan Spieth at twenty nine, and then Sepp Stracker, who definitely thought he was gone. Um, his his reaction after finishing up on on eighteen yesterday was one of complete, you know. It, yeah, I mean, it was just, he was disconsolate almost. Um, but yeah, but he crept in. Um, he wouldn't have thought he needed a flight to, to Atlanta, but he'll be on one this morning. Yeah, I would say a Tyrrell Hatton club throw is as normal to almost be cliche now. There, there were some other videos. I don't know the authenticity of them, but there was authenticity of them, sorry, but there were some other videos as well that emerged on social media of, of Tyrrell not looking very happy. Um, but, but, but on a golf course, when things are going aren't going well, that just seems to be his normal state. So um, let's look ahead then to Eastlake. I mean, firstly, for anyone, I'm, I'm sure listen, a lot of listeners are well aware of how the Tour Championship works. But but for anyone who might just be listening in for the first time and isn't quite aware of how the FedEx Cup playoffs are decided. So we've, we've obviously had these two events. We're now down to the top 30. And they've all been assigned scores. Why? Yes. Yeah, so the it's a it's a thing that's only come in in the, in the last few years, um, and it basically rewards you know how well players have done over the course of the season in basically giving them uh, a head start for for the Tour Championship this week at Eastlake. So so Scotty Scheffler, who although he didn't win yesterday, um, remains top of the FedEx Cup rankings. Um, so he will start this week at ten under par. Um, Victor Hovland will start at eight under. Rory McIlroy seven under. John Rahm at six under. Lucas Glover, after his incredible back-to-back um, wins, will be at six under. Um, sorry, five under for Lucas Glover. And then from there, from six to ten in the FedEx Cup standings, will start at four under. That includes the likes of Max Homer, Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark. From eleven to fifteen, will start at um, two under. Sorry, three under. Tommy Fleetwood, Keegan Bradley, Ricky Fowler in that group. From 16 to 20, we'll start at two under par, uh, including Tony Finau and Tom Kim. From 21 to 25 in the standings, we'll start at one under par. That includes Colin Morikawa. And then from 26 to 30, um, the last five who got in, including Tyrrell, Jordan Spieth and Seth Schacker, they will all start at level par. So it's basically a sort of, you know, if you're the higher up that you are, it's more of a sort of, oh, well done on your season. 
we're giving you a little bonus to start the final event of the season. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot now, so apologies for this. But given that Seb, Seb Stracker is 10 shots off the lead, why would you be so happy then to get into the Tour Championship playoffs? I'm setting you up. You know the answer to this. I know the answer to this. It's it's something to do with dollar bills. But I mean, like, no. like, like, <laughs> how how much money does thirtieth get on the on oh. the on the Tour Championship? Am I gonna get, am I gonna need to waffle a bit now to give you some I time you, to look up you Google? Might, you might need to waffle. Oh, um, I know, I know that the winner. I think, I believe the winner's purse has been increased from fifteen to eighteen million. I believe. Um, I think it's twenty-five it's, million next it, year as well, 20, isn't it? No, it's yeah, twenty-five think, next year. I think. Yes, with the the whole eligible, sorry, um, elevated event and so on. Yeah, because Rory took home fifteen last year. Um, there's a third time he's won it, and of course, you wouldn't back against him to. Um, to, to win again this week, he does seem no, no, to love he, he, he loves that golf course. He absolutely adores it, and and I and I sometimes think he prefers to chase actually in this event too. Um, so I, I mean, I'd be stunned if Rory wasn't a really really short price favorite. It might be not really really short price, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he wasn't the favorite, even with. Scheffler being the world number one, just because he plays yeah. so well around there, so he's got some great memories of that golf course. Yeah, and he did the same last year. I think he, I think he was two shots back to start with, and and obviously two shots over the course of four rounds isn't much, but he came from behind, did the chasing last year. He's uh, not the favourite. He's not. He's not the favourite. Yeah. Scheffler's the favourite. I mean, I would take Rory over Scheffler at East Lake at seven yeah. to two against nine to five. <coughs> anyway. Have I waffled long? That. Have I waffled long enough now for you to get <laughs> you get, get ha- your you stats up? You have indeed. So yeah, as we mentioned, eighteen million dollars for the winner this week, and that in itself is huge. If you were to say lose out in a playoff this week, you would lose eleven and a half million dollars. That's the gap between first and second. Eighteen million for the winner, six and a half million, which which I make sound like it's very small, but six and a half million for second place. Um, the top 10 receive at least seven figures. And even if you come last this week, of course, there's no cut. All 30 players will play all week. Even if you come last, you get a nice, cool $500,000. That's why it's so big for these players to get into the top 30 and to get to Eastlake to end their season. I would like to have seen Sepp Stracker's little jig when he realised he was going to win <laughs> half a million just for turning up. But anyway, we, we, we talked there about, um, obviously, Rory and his incredible record at Eastlake. Um, Scheffler's obviously got the advantage. Um, how do you think it's going to go? I'm going to put you on the spot because you are our you are our betting tipster. You, so you might as well get some of your tips out early. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as, as you mentioned, as, and as I said, Rory, it, it's, you know, where he is, he just loves Eastlake. I mean, he, he I think it was... Wayne Riley said last night on on Sky Sports' commentary that he owns Eastlake, and and he really does. It's a golf course he absolutely adores. Um, It's a golf course he plays well at every end, starting three shots back. That's not going to phase him whatsoever this week. So he would be the the short price man, you know, as if to say, oh, no, how dare I pick Rory McIlroy? But he would be the short price man um, I'd go for. Um, Looking further down the list, it's one of those I feel like you go anything past sort of six or seven shots back and, and you're really pushing, you know, the odds. So I do think the likes of Jordan Spieth, Tyrrell Hatton and so on, they would have to play absolutely out of their skin to have any chance of winning this week. Um, 
but you know we've seen we we can see it before we might see it this week. Um, I think maybe for me, someone like Xander could be um, one to look out for this week. He's in that eleven to to fifteen bracket, so he'll be starting seven back at three under par. Um, I think that's maybe as far back as I'd look in terms of if I was going to put some money on myself. Um, Patrick Cantley, another man who's won at. Um, East Lake, he knows how to get the job done in the FedEx Cup. He'll start at four under, um, and then of course Max Homer. He did have the course record for at Olympia Fields for all of what was it? All of three days, two days, um, until Victor Hovland came in and fired that sixty-one. So he could be another good shout. But realistically, I think you, you're looking at the top four as a sort of. The, the, the four that might win. John Rahm's obviously not been in the best of form recently, despite having four wins at the start of the season. And then, of course, Scotty, Victor, Rory. It, for me, the winner comes from that top four. Yeah, just looking at um, the roll call of winners over the last four years since this new system came into place, McElroy obviously won in 2019, won by four strokes over Schofle, started at minus five. Um DJ and Patrick Cantley, the winners in 2020 and 2021, both started at minus 10. So they obviously led the FedEx Cup rankings going in. McElroy last year finished at 21 under par, won by a stroke um, from a couple of players, um, Sung Im and Scotty Scheffler. But he started at minus four. So I mean, he's an absolute chaser on this track. Minus five and minus four in 2019 and 2022, respectively. You did talk about Xander Schoffler. He won the event in 2017, 12 under par by a stroke from Justin Thomas. We will be talking a lot about Justin uh, Justin Thomas shortly. But there is, there is some hope there um, for the chasers, particularly if you're Rory McIlroy. Um, and I just wonder whether there'll be quite a lot of love for his 72 price. Um, this, these are early prices that we're talking about. I'm sort of looking across the odds, but but 72, very clear second favourite to Scheffler. But as, as, as you said, and as I've said, all of the um, all the historical evidence suggests that he enjoys chasing. I think that uh, he had a spirited week on the edge of contention without really getting into it on the final yeah. day on Sunday. But he's, he remains in fantastic form. We'll talk about form of some various European players later on. A uh, lot to look forward to this week. Should be... Um, I'm, I'm split. Look, I'm split on this. I'm not sure whether I like the minus 10 or the minus 2 or the level par. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I like the idea of, you know, players being ecstatic because they've basically... Getting, they're getting paid. I think sort of every time you should be in a tournament, you should be trying to win. I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm fully sold on this yet, but it is what it is, and we've got to put up with it. And there probably will be some drama at the top end, if not the bottom end, come Sunday evening. Yeah, without doubt, without doubt. I, I'm I'm sort of the other way. I I actually like the system um, now, and I think just purely because it's like I say, it celebrates the the work that. You know the players have put in over, you know, the last eight nine months, um, and it shows that you know Scotty's had the best year. He deserves to start in front, um, and that's that. So I, I, I see where you're coming from, but for me, I think it's a it's a good idea, and I think I'm glad they put it in because it, it does celebrate how well the players have played this so far this season. Well, we'll beg to differ. <laughs> But, As always, <laughs> but, but but we won't fall out. So let, let's move on because one of the other big uh, talking points of the weekend was 
Um, the top six of the US Ryder Cup team being revealed. For those who might not know who they are yet, Matt, would you care to reveal them and then we'll talk a little bit about them and who's not and who could get in? Of course, yes. So uh, we already knew that Scotty Scheffler, after his incredible season, and uh, Wyndham Clark, major champion for the first time, we already knew that those two had qualified uh, before this week. The other four spots um, of those six automatic now also set with Brian Harmon, Open champion, uh, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homer, and Xander Schofley, the last two sneaking in above one certain Brooks Kepka to take their spots in the top six. Obviously, six qualified, six picks for Zach Johnson, and there's a host of names that he could pick from. As we spoke, as I've spoken about with both yourself and Chiv over the last sort of three or four weeks. Yeah, some curious stuff came out this week um, from the American skipper, Zach Johnson, talking about um, the various merits of players on those various tours. Um, Brooks um, Brooks Kepka, as you say, will obviously now have to rely on a captain's pick from Zach after falling out of automatic qualifying. And the big question is, is Zach Johnson going to leave a major champion at home because he plays on the Live Tour? Um, interestingly, uh, if we're looking for some sort of insight into perhaps how Johnson is thinking, uh, Bryson DeChambeau revealed that he hadn't spoken with Zach Johnson since the PGA Championship at Oak Hill three months ago. And that was obviously despite Bryson hitting an unbelievable 58, 12 under par at Greenbrier and Live Tour earlier this month and clearly also being in some decent form around the major championships that he has been eligible to play in. On the uh, Subpar podcast with uh, Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz, um, Zach Johnson said the following um, about live golfers. He said, I'm going to be fully transparent. It's hard because I'm not able to witness what they're doing and see their form with the exception of four events a year. What Brooks has done this year, well, no one's surprised. I'm just glad he's healthy. Then he was obviously asked about uh, Justin Thomas, who has clearly failed to make the playoffs and has been in struggling form all season. Big question, is he going to pick JT regardless of, of how he's performed? And he is reported to have said about JT, we communicate and we will continue to be sincere with each other. I hope he understands. We will give everything to Rome. And I said to him, I don't know yet what decision I'm going to make, but obviously he's still one of the candidates. So you've got this curious thing, in my view, where he is talking about communicating quite a lot with Justin Thomas, but not communicating perhaps with some other members of the Live Tour who might be eligible for his team. Um what do you make of all of this, Matt? I think it's great for Team Europe to start to start with. Um, it's yeah, it's a very weird and confusing situation because, of course, um, I think only a couple of months ago, Zach Johnson said that you know he wouldn't be averse to picking those playing on the on the Live Tour, um, and of course, we we all sort of assumed that maybe Brooks would automatically qualify after what he'd done in the majors. Um, wasn't to be, but yeah, it's the whole. You know, you can only watch them four times a year. I think is you know, as we we've mentioned before, is a is a load of tosh. Um, because you know, you can watch live golf. Everyone can watch live golf. We all can watch it on YouTube. It's not you know difficult to find. Um, and as you mentioned just before we we started today, it's there's been several events in the United States, including a couple. 
um, in the last few weeks at the Greenbrier and then at, at Bedminster. So whether it is by choice or, you know, we don't know. But um, yeah, I think all I could say is from a Team Europe standpoint, obviously being <laughs> being from, from this side, um, I think the more this rumbles on, the better it is for Team Europe because we always say Team Europe are a more sort of, they are more of a team. They are more together. Um, and the Americans maybe seem to be more individual sometimes. Um, and this could just be another case of that, especially if he does decide to pick pick one or both of the two live golfers that are in question. Yeah, I think the Americans have to watch it through CW, um, but yeah. but it is but it is there. It is it is available um, for them to watch. I did find that curious. Um, the idea that you would have to be on site to see the golfers. Is, I mean, look, politically, I understand there would be some massive issues with Zach Johnson turning up at a live golf event. Um, you know, whatever whatever your politics are, right, whatever, whatever side of the fence you're on. And I understand that emotions run high on either side. But I mean, I think even regardless of everyone's views, everyone would understand that if Zach Johnson turned up at a live golf event, that would there would be some headlines from that, some headlines that he probably doesn't want. Um, but can we really conceive a situation where he does not pick a major champion to go to the Ryder Cup in Brooks Kepka? I mean, is that really on the table because of the tour that he plays on that he would not pick him because politically it's difficult for him? I I was trying to think of the last time a a, a major champion didn't make the Ryder Cup team and one of the great things about being old is I can stretch far back into the past. And so I can remember John Daly obviously winning the PGA Championship in 91 and then not going to Kiwar Island. But that was a little bit different. I mean, he came from absolutely nowhere. He'd shown not a lot. Um, and, and you know, it was like right, bef- right before the tournament. Um, the other problem with getting old is my short-term memory is not as good as it used to be. So it may well be that there have been major champions who um, who've not made Ryder Cup squads, but I just cannot remember them. But but certainly John Daly is the one that stands out for me. Can you perceive any situation where the PGA champion does not represent the PGA of America at the Ryder Cup? I was just thinking that. Did that not happen with Phil Mickelson in 2021? After he won the PGA, or did he win the PGA in 2020? When he broke the record for being the oldest, probably, yeah. I told I you, think... my, I told, I told you, my short-term memory was no good. Um, but yeah, that's it. That that's the only one I can think of in in recent. It, you know, as a possibility, it might I might be might be wrong and have have my ears wrong. But for some reason, I don't remember him going to Whistling Straits. I feel he did win it in twenty one. But yeah, I for me, I mean, obviously, there's maybe somewhat of a of a precedent, but it, it's not much of a precedent. I, I can't see how you can't pick Brooks Kepka. Um, you know, was it I think I think joint runner up at the Masters, you know, major champion this year. He's shown that he does it on the biggest of stages. Um Yeah, it's uh it I, I can't see how you wouldn't pick him, you no know, despite all the politics and, and so on, but maybe there's a few people above Zach Johnson that are sort of leading him away from that we don't know um but yeah it's a very confusing scenario at the moment especially for the american fans who will probably most of them will want brooks there in the way he's playing 
Yeah, if I remember rightly, um, Mickelson's form on the PGA Tour sort of fell off a cliff after he um, after he won at Kiwar Island um, mm. and became obviously the the oldest major champion in history. And then I think afterwards, he that's when he started to absolutely storm it, didn't he, on the Champions Tour when uh, he yes, was eligible. Yeah. So, th- th- I mean, form does, but we're not we're not talking about form issues, particularly with Brooks Kepper here. We're talking no. about. So we're talking about a political issue more than anything. Mm. I think is it is it going to be acceptable for the Ryder Cup captain to pick him or not? Uh, personally, I'd be delighted if he's not on the plane. Yeah. Um, that would be absolutely fantastic. I think from a European point of view, um, yeah. I just regardless of his record, he is a player that um, I I would fear um, a guy that you know when he knuckles down to it and wants to win seems to make it happen, particularly in major championships. So. Um, but if I mean if we if we're not we're not drawing too much into Brooks because we're trying to extrapolate what Bryson is saying and what what Zach is saying into how he will look at um, how he will look at live players when he makes his selection sort of at the end of this month. But we get much more of a steer on JT, don't we? And I think like looking beneath his comments there, I sort of get the impression that he wants to pick him. Yeah. Um, but can he? He's going to need. He's going to need to see something, isn't he, from JT in terms of some optimism of his form. Um, yeah. But I do. I do. I do. Maybe it's just me. I do get the impression that he wants to take him. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I think, as I mentioned, as I've mentioned a couple of the week, I feel like I'm JT's biggest fan over the last few weeks. Actually, um, if 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 you're taking Jordan Spieth, then you take Justin Thomas. No matter what his form is, it's a partnership that Team Europe will fear. I said this last week when me and Chiv were talking about it. Um, and Spieth is the next man up after Brooks Kepka on, on the US points list at number eight. So you would expect him to to go. Obviously, we'll see how he does at um, East Lake this week, having just scraped in. But yeah, JT is. I think maybe for JT, the best thing was him missing the playoffs because it was. It meant he was able to sort of get away from tournament golf for this three weeks. Um, for him to go away, practice, even take maybe a touch of time off away from the game. Um, but yeah, I think if Spieth goes, JT goes, and I think that partnership can rekindle again. Um, they played brilliantly in Paris, um, so they know how to do it on European soil. Um, so yeah, I think, as you mentioned, I think Zach, he, he wants to pick him. It, it feels... Kind of a little bit sort of father son esque in that he you know he wants him to do well he you know and so on he's got his arm around his shoulder constant communication lines and so on um, but yeah I think JT goes and I think Zach picks him because he, what was it he, what did he say he's a he's a good guy to be around the team you know something along those lines um, mm. and those sorts of guys are what you need sometimes to get over the line in a Ryder Cup um, even if you you know. Dips in with a point, JT. That might be enough. So I think I think Zach Johnson does pick him. Pick him as the vice captain. I say. Um, I mean, again, if he's if he is picked in the team on current form as a European, I'm absolutely delighted. This guy can't hit a barn door currently. We watched him at the we watched him at the Open. He is massively struggling, and it's not just an issue of mechanics for me. It's an issue of confidence as well. And he keeps saying things like, "I'm not far away. I'm not far away," and then barely breaking eighty. Um, I, I just I'm not sure you can carry that kind of form into a Ryder Cup. 
maybe he'll try and play something full series, early full series, um, to try and get um, into some form. You never know. He might even turn up at Wentworth. I'd be surprised. I was just uh, going to say Wentworth might be there. Yeah. Um, if he get if if he gets picked, <clears throat> but um, I mean, I, I also think that the Justin Thomas Jordan Spieth narrative is an easy one and one that media love to to spit out there. But Jordan Spieth's pretty adaptable. His partnership with I mean, the partnership with JT in the first place caused some controversy because he broke up a what would been perceived to be a very successful partnership with Patrick Reed. So I think that Jordan Spieth's a bit more adaptable than people are giving him credit for. And you can basically stick this guy with anyone and and, and he'll be absolutely fine. Um there have been occasions in the past when players in unbelievably poor form have come in and excelled at a Ryder Cup. Um, there is something about that week, but I, I, I can't remember if it was Nick Faldo or, or someone else who who has said, if you're searching for form and you go into that week and, you, and you're scrabbling and you're trying to find your best, you're not going to find it there in that environment. So he, he really needs to be picking up um, before that he arrives at Rome for that week because there's, I don't think there's any way on the planet that he just turns it on and suddenly becomes the major champion he was again. So I, I personally think Jack, I personally think Zach will pick him. I think he will take him. Um, it remains to be seen if he does, what the consequences of that would be as a European. I'd be pretty happy about it at this stage. Um, but who knows? I might, I might be eating my words in, a couple of months' time. Uh, speaking of players in form, let's move on to the European Ryder Cup contingent. Which, um, given that, the, given again, the narrative of this uh, whole three-day matchup is that Europe are going to get their backsides handed to them, and the Americans are going to win on European soil for the first time in thirty years. Um, there are some pleasing things happening in the. FedEx Cup playoffs at the moment. Most notably, obviously, Victor Hovland shooting 61-9 under to win the BMW Championship, but also the form of Matt Fitzpatrick. We spoke a bit earlier on about him falling away, but there's no there's no doubt that he is in really good form at the moment. Rory McIlroy might not have won a major, but he's had an absolutely tremendous year. I suppose John Rahm just dropping off a little bit would be slightly concerning but plenty of time for him to get back on the train as well Tommy Fleetwood didn't have a great final round um, but has shown some great form over the last few weeks Justin Rose is probably going to be a captain's pick I think I mean didn't do enough to get in the 30 but has shown probably enough this year to um, to have him in as an old head the, the signs are relatively good aren't they for uh, Luke Donald at the moment if you look at our sort of <laughs> top eight players yeah, completely. I mean, <clears throat> so three have already qualified in in Rory Rahm and, and Victor had qualified actually before um, this week and obviously just rubber stamped that qualification. You mentioned Fitzpatrick. He's currently not in a qualifying position. Yeah, but he's um, going to get picked. There's no oh, way he doesn't doubt. get picked. I mean, bizarrely, yeah, like he, his Ryder Cup form is miserable, like absolutely yeah. miserable. Um, but but there's no way he doesn't get picked. Absolutely yeah. none. Completely, yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, to be fair, this week he may even overtake um, Tommy on that on that world points list. He's only one point nine uh, points behind him um, so far. But Tyrrell, Tommy, you said you mentioned Matt Fitzpatrick, Dusty Rose. I thought he battled. He battled a, a lot um, on on the back nine yesterday. Yesterday to to try and get in it, just just the putter let him down uh, a little bit. 
Um, on those last years, I think he probably needed three birdies in his last six and was just unable to get to get across the line. But yeah, I think the signs are, are better than we maybe first thought they would be when you look on, on paper compared to the American team. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, with, with a course that will probably be set up, you know, for, for European style of golf, um, like it was in Paris, um, yeah, I think there's there are some exciting signs and we will see some some young players, some debutants, of course, probably the likes of Sepp Stracker being one of those. Um, hopefully, obviously, European-wise, hopefully he has a good week and isn't just there to pick up his 500,000 um, at East Lake. But yeah, I think uh, it, there's an upturn for, for the Europeans and I think there, there is something we can look forward to for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the Ryder Cup in a lot of detail in, in forthcoming weeks, so probably don't want to get too much into it at this stage. But um, the the top six or top eight look really, really good. I suppose where you start to worry is that sort of bottom four, who, who's Luke Donald going to pick? Um, he is going to have to pick a number of new players who are never going to have ever seen anything like that atmosphere before. Um, you know, if the, if the likes of Adrian Moronk get in there, um, you know, uh, obviously you talked about Sepp Stracker. I mean, I'd be I'd be surprised if Sepp didn't get picked, given that he's yeah. now made the Tour Championship. Um, there are a lot of uh, unknowns about the bottom end of the European team, whereas I don't think that is the case in the American team. I think I think actually their issues almost reversed. Their rookies are already qualified in in the likes of Brian Harmon a rookie who's a major champion. Um, you know, they Clark as well. Yeah, yeah, their their issue their issue is going to be who do they leave out who's been yeah. in the team before, which is a, you know, it's like a, it's like opposite ends of the spectrum for for Europe. Um, and the United States. I've been looking a little bit into Marco Simone and um, it'd be really interesting to see how they do lay that golf course out because it's it's a bit of an unusual one. Um, it's it's essentially been rerouted uh, and redesigned in order to maximise match play golf opportunities, but not just that, but to maximise spectator vantage points as well. As a result, there's quite a lot of elevation changes in that golf course. And from what I can see, and I must confess, I didn't spend too much time studying the Italian Open. Um, from what I can see, there's there's a fair few sort of blind, semi-blind shots at various stages of the golf course. And I'm, I'm not really sure in that sense that you can really set the golf course up. You know, like at, at the Golf National, the whole thing was really narrow fairways, massive rough, penalise the Americans who drive it all over the place. When you have that, that's kind of set up in Rome where, you, where you're introducing quite a lot of greens on shelves, severely contoured slopes, kind of some semi-blind shots. I'm not sure you can set the rough up in the same way. Um, and the the other thing I think is really interesting to note is that at Le Golf National, there were a fair number of that Ryder Cup team that had considerable experience on that golf course. I think Francesco Molinari was one who came to mind. Fleetwood had certainly done well in the French Open, I think, in the past. I think oh, Pat, Alex Norrin as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there were a number of players on that team who knew that golf course very, yeah. very well. I'm not sure that's the case this time. I don't think, I mean, maybe you look at the list of the Italian Open, I had a brief look at it, but I, I couldn't see a whole host of Europe's Ryder Cup players, particularly yeah. at the top end, having much knowledge of that golf course. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, that was that was played out in 2018 was the Americans didn't come over, largely JT did, I think, but the Americans didn't come over for the French Open. 
So a lot of them hadn't seen the golf course at all. And I think actually outside of who you pick at the bottom end, that's probably largely going to be true for the Europeans. So is course layout and course setup going to be such a big thing this time when the key protagonists don't necessarily know the golf course? Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's that's my sort of impressions. You tell me. I mean, I I can't think that this, this lot have played this course that much. Matt Fitz, yeah. Fitzpatrick's played it, I think. Yeah, played the Bob. Was it Bob won it in? Did Bob won the Italian Open when it was there. But obviously, no. if the court, like you mentioned, if the course has been, you know, changed a little bit and rebooted, uh, not, like in the in the last few years, not since, not since yeah. it's been. Right, oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, Bob won there, but yeah, after that, <clears throat> realistically, that that at that point, you may be looking at maybe like a, a Rasmus Hoygaard, may, maybe or. a or like an Adrian Moronk or a Yannick Paul that may have played there while it's been on the DP World Tour. But yeah, it's I do see where you're coming from there. Course setup might not be the um, the sort of big factor that it has been in, in previous years um, at Ryder Cups. We mentioned Paris, obviously, you know, narrow fairways, big rough, um, almost akin to a sort of US Open style setup, actually, uh, in Paris. Not quite as, as as harsh and you know deep, juicy, thick, rough, but somewhat in in that vein. And obviously, we saw you know some of the Americans you know flailing the ball all over the place that week. Um, but yeah, course setup is always one that's talked about, um, and I think Luke Donald has mentioned it a couple of times, saying you know we'll see how we want to take a look at it and, and so on. Um, but yeah, I think it's not going to have as much of an effect this this time round as, as it would have done in in previous years. Yeah, Adrian Moronk obviously won the Italian Open back in May, 13 under par, four rounds in the 60s. So that's obviously quite good news since it's reasonably like he'll be in with a decent shout. And just spanning down the leaderboard, it was, I mean, it, it they, they were not a huge number of, 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 of big Ryder Cup contenders at this tournament in May. Yannick mm-hmm. Paul finished, um, Yannick Paul finished at minus two. So he was just outside the top 20. Nicholas Hogard, obviously, uh, just trying to find him. Don't even think he played. Did Rasmus? No, but my, the general point I'm making while scanning badly down yeah. the list of, of, <laughs> of, of leaders is um, that my first impression was right, you know, several months before a Ryder Cup is about to be played. Rasmus Hogard was plus one. Uh, plus two, sorry, but several months before a Ryder Cup was played, none of the leading contenders, with the exception of perhaps Moronk, um, played in the event at all. Yeah, or certainly didn't make the cut anyway. So mm-hmm. um, let's see, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, Luke Donald played, shot two seventy fours. <laughs> so he knows, he knows, <laughs> he knows the course. Um, I well, think that, just on that, sorry, just on on that point, I think that probably. Helps Adrian Moronk's point, uh, you know, part into getting a place on this team. I think, you know, having won on the course, it, you know, knowing the landscape, I think, and obviously Luke Donald having been there that week as well, that will definitely give him some credit towards his place on the team. Well, let's we've talked we've talked enough about the Ryder Cup. Um, for one week, there'll be plenty of time to talk about it as we build up frenetically to the tournament at the end of September. Let's move on to the Solheim Cup because there was some Solheim news this week as well and some of the qualifiers have been revealed. Yes, yeah, so um, so far of the 24 players that, that will um, feature 
um, in Andalusia. We've got 12 um, who are guaranteed so far. So eight Europeans uh, as the European qualifying period came to an end following the, the ISPS Handert World Invitational. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Celine Boutier topped the list um, thanks to her incredible recent form. Um, it was herself and Sweden's Maya Stark that were the two who led the points list. Um, and then in the European qualification, it was two from the points list and then the six highest ranked in the um, Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings. Uh, joining Stark are two more Swedes in Lynn Grant and Anna Nordqvist, who will be a playing vice-captain. Um, the English pairing of Charlie Hull and Georgia Hall. Ireland's Leona Maguire, who of course took four and a half points in her rookie appearance last time out. And Spain's Carlotta Seganda. So they're the eight Europeans who are qualified and there'll be four captain's picks from Suzanne Pettersen. And then four Americans have also qualified. Their qualification period isn't um, at its end yet, but four have already qualified. No surprise, two-time major champion Lilia Vu tops the list. Uh, Nelly Corder, US Open champ Alison Corpuz, and Megan Kang are the four Americans in. So yeah, 12 of the 24 places have been secured at the Solheim Cup so far. Eight for Europe and four for the Americans. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously too early to talk about them. the likely makeup of the USA team. Um, we have have some ideas on it, but but who knows, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. But but I mean, obviously, the, the, the European team's taken much more greater shape. I like it. It looks proper strong. Yeah. I mean, and you look at some of the partnerships that there's been over the, over the recent years. 2019, Georgia Hall and um, Carlotta Seganda were un, un, unbeaten in their three uh, three matches as, as a pairing. Um, Charlie Hull, obviously, you know, into her sixth Ryder Cup, uh, Solheim Cup, apologies, you know, having been the youngest ever at, at the age of 17 back in, in 2013. Um, yeah, it's got a good mix, that team. Obviously, Celine Butio's in great form. Three Swedes as well, you know, and we know that the Swedes play well um, in, in Solheim Cup formats. Anna Nordqvist, of course, has just been incredible in the format you know, over the years, I think 2009 was her first one. Um, so yeah, that that's it's a good makeup of that team, and, and there's some good players not in that eight that will be you know battling it out for the captain's pick. And Suzanne Pettersson has uh, quite a lot to choose from, I, I would say. Yeah, it's obviously very good news that Celine Boutier has been in such fantastic form over the last few weeks. But I mean, Charlie Hull's been in some great stuff over the last few months as well. Obviously, second I think in consecutive major championships. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to be optimistic about. Um, I mean, obviously, the Americans always come into these as perennial favourites, but I wonder this time. I wonder. I mean, obviously, of the top four, the top four Americans, two breakout stars this year, Lilia Vu and obviously Alison Corpuz. Um, they they look like proper proper players, both of them, don't they? Yeah. So I'll be really interested to see what they do when they get into the um, the limelight of. Of, of the Solheim Cup, because again, um, it'll be something very different, won't it? Yeah, and both on debut, as we mentioned, the other yeah. two breakout stars, three majors between them. Um, obviously, Lilia Vu became the first American to win, the first American female since 2000 to win two majors in a single year, which I thought was an incredible stat when when, when I heard it. Um, but yeah, obviously, she's uh, you know, went to the top of the world rankings as well. Nelly Cord has been at the top of the world rankings. Um, so yeah, even though there's only four you know, definite for the Americans, it's still a strong top four. Um, but the Europeans have had the have had the run in the uh, Solheim Cup over the last uh, the last few few events. 
Interesting, because I had a chat with Ellie Corder at a Ramco team series, um, London at Centurion. One of the questions that she was asked was, um, there's clearly going to be a very different makeup of the American team this year. It's going to have a lot of rookies, even if they are some of them major championship winning rookies. One of the questions she was asked was, you know, did she see herself? Obviously, she's played in a couple already. Did she see herself as one of the senior members of the team? Did she see herself sort of taking on a nurturing role for the rookies? And her response was was illuminating, actually, because she said, I'm paraphrasing here, but she essentially said, oh, thank God we've got a captain for that. Um, <laughs> that that's a woman that doesn't fancy taking on any responsibility there, really. Yeah, any yeah. leadership. And, and it'll be really interesting to see how she gets on because obviously her sister, Jessica, has been injured. Um, clearly, uh, she enjoys playing um, foursomes golf, you know, with with her sister. She enjoys partnering with her sister. I think um, she has spoken about the strangeness she's had this year not being on tour with her sister, with her sister being obviously out injured. So, I mean, very interesting the, how Nelly gets on, obviously, with new partnerships going into a Solheim Cup that's going to be very strange for her. And she's never won one, right? She might be world number one. She's still world number one. It, it seems to it seems to change every week yeah. at the moment. It's yeah. very tight. <laughs> it's very tight at the top. Um, but, you know, she goes in there, let's say at the moment she's the world number one. She goes in there as the talismanic figure in women's golf. She's the player that um, really will probably need to drive this United States team on. And yet... Um, reading between the lines, she's not massively comfortable with the idea of sort of being a figurehead mm. of that team. And obviously she's going to have to play in an unfamiliar Ryder Cup without a security blanket. I, I, want, I want to say that in the best possible sense, but but you get the point. And, yeah. and, you know, despite all of her achievements in golf, she's yet to win a Solheim. She's lost both of them that she's played in. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned the security blankets. I mean, in 2019... Um, alongside her sister in the foursomes they didn't even go past the 12th hole um which shows how you know comfortable they are with each other winning six and four and six and five but then that flipped in in 2021 and and she played with jessica again and she lost six and four in the first foursome session Hmm. so yeah she's not had the best of times in in the solheim cup um she still has five and a half points from her eight matches um but yeah not lifted the trophy yet um it's yeah. There's some some intrigue as to who she might play with. Of course, you know, like you mentioned, it's going to be a lot of rookies um, in that team. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one for sure. Very interesting. Yeah, we are going to be getting into a fabulous month of golf. Obviously, the Tour Championship this week followed by an incredible month of team golf in September with the Walker Cup, the Solheim Cup, and the Ryder Cup. Does it get much better than that? I'm not sure. I'm. Sure, you will all be with us as we go through that. Matt Chivers will be back next week to um, lead the slam among more familiar paths. Um, but I, I have been Steve Carroll. Matt Coles, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much once again. And I might see you again soon. Cheers. Goodbye.